0: All right, so Ben just read for us Luke chapter 15, so what a switch. <laughs> um, in the series of lessons that we are dealing with, let me see, where's, I don't know where I put the, here we go. In these series, we're talking about the fact that, you know, we're, we don't have perfect families because there's not a single person who is, in fact, perfect. So you, you cannot have a perfect family if we're all sinners. If, even if we strive to give ourselves to the Lord in the best possible way, we fail. We fail at, at taking the best of what we know of parenting and executing it perfectly. Our children, even if they desire to honor and obey their parents, it can be difficult. And, of course, you all live your lives. You have those difficulties. You have memories of such. There are times that are beautiful and times of great struggle. But we know there's no such thing as a perfect family. We also know that even while we strive to teach our children, we have children who've been taught the way of the Lord. They know who Jesus Christ is, even if not perfectly. They know he is a savior of the world. They know he died for their sins. And they've taught their children to, to honor them. They've taught their children to follow rules. They've taught their children to, to listen to the government. They've taught their children to whatever you can imagine to live faithful lives in service to our king. And yet our children can go by the way of the prodigal son. That happens. And there's a lot of parents who have come to over the years that have shared with me Their fault. I said, well, you know, we all take responsibility for the way we raise our children. That's understandable. We all could do better at it. We know that. Now, unless you're trying to steer your children in the way of Satan, your goal is to steer your children in the way of the Lord, you have got to understand that not all children are going to honor and obey you. So many of parents already learned this by experience and beat themselves up. Saying, what more could I have done? Before we actually get into this parable, I want you to to answer this question Does God beat Himself up when He has perfectly given us everything? I mean, here is a perfect God, none of His kind. He is it, He has created us, He's given us everything. And we have people who have rejected Him or turned away after having received his grace. What more could God have done, is my question. And if you say there's no more that God could have done, but, but we're talking about me, not God, ask yourself this, if you're trying to give yourself to teaching your children, what more can you do? But keep trying. That's all we can do is try the very best that we can. And even then, it may not be good enough, so to speak, as far as what we can do, and, and, and the rest is going to fall on our children. It's going to be their choice, and we'll get into that this, this morning. So what we're dealing with this morning about this series of lesson is what happens when your child goes prodigal, when they go the way of foolish living and reject everything you're trying to teach them. I'm not talking about children who are weak. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about children who um, disobey you from, from time to time and, and, and just you wonder, what do I have to do to get you to listen? I'm not talking about children from that standpoint, okay? I'm talking about children who say, I don't care. I want out. Doesn't matter what you tell me, I'm headed this way. Very different children is who I'm, I'm getting at. I'm not talking about the weak child. I'm talking about a child who goes prodigal, who rejects everything. So I want to read again, even though Ben just read the first three verses, I want to read this this parable, and I want us to focus in on this parent-child relationship. I know from a contextual standpoint, if we look at this prodigal um, story, contextually, Jesus is answering the hearts of these Pharisees who are looking at him going, this guy eats with sinners and tax collectors. I can't believe it. So if you want to get to the context of this prodigal, we're talking about the elder brother in that case, right? Most people, we focus on the prodigal son when we deal with this parable. But the the real deal is about the elder brother. But that doesn't mean that there aren't storylines that deal with the father and deal with this prodigal son. And that's who we're going to be dealing with for our purpose this morning. So in Luke chapter 15, I want us to look at this parable one more time and see some of these um, statements that go in line with what we're talking about in this series, okay? Luke chapter 15, again, beginning in verse 11. The third of the, the trifecta of parables about being lost and being found. It says in verse 11, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, the father that is, divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father He said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. What a beautiful, beautiful passage about the gospel. Really beautiful. I mean, you're, you're talking about individuals who have turned their backs against God. And over the course of time, over eons, God is quietly waiting for the right moment to send his son. And imagine that. People who, when hearing good news, start looking at the Father again. Start looking at our God. And our God lavishes us with his gifts of salvation that is right here in this parable that's why Jesus sat down with sinners he sat down with people with those very messy lives that the rest of the Jews wanted no part of that's your context but let's focus within the story within the story if you will about the father-son relationship about this prodigal son you see the first thing that you'll notice in these first two verses of this parable is that this child made his choice. He went prodigal before he actually left. Did you realize that? Remember last year when when we did that sermon already gone, and we looked at the fact statistically in this country, about 60 plus percent, almost 70 percent of our children that grow up quote unquote in the church leave. The thing was they left before they actually left. The mind is gone. The heart is not there. This son already had it in his mind. He wanted out. He wanted to leave home. And so what he does is he goes against the cultural norm, which when we go back to Deuteronomy 21, and we're going to read this text in just a little bit. In fact, Kenny, in his article about the prodigal, uses Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, about what happens when the father dies, that he gives of his livelihood to, well, he gives twice as much to the eldest son, the firstborn son. And the rest is divided up with the other brother, or if he has more children, it's divided among them all. But the eldest gets the great portion, the double portion, if you will. But that's after the father dies. Only under very special circumstances that you have The father giving his livelihood to his child before he dies. This child wants it not because of need, but completely out of selfishness and greed. That's what we have here. And that was his choice. He wanted out and he asked, boldly asks, for his father's livelihood while the father's still alive. That was his choice. If you go to Deuteronomy 21, keep your place where you're at in in Luke 15, but I want you to go back to the text here because I want you to see the law given right here and the law given with a prodigal son. Did you s- I hope you'd see that in Deuteronomy 21. Because they go hand in hand when you look at the, go- the gospel and the law back and forth. Deuteronomy 21 beginning in verse 15. If a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, and they have borne him children, both the loved and unloved, And if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, so here's the law now with the background, then it shall be on the day he um, bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference to the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all, that he has, For he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Oh boy, remember when we talk about Jacob and Esau? There's a lot there. <laughs> but anyway, continue on to verse 18. And see the tie-in between this law, these two laws that are given with this parable that we're discussing this morning. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and who when they have chastened him will not heed them then his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city to the gate of the city and they shall say to the elders of the city this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious he will not obey our voice he is a glutton and a drunkard idiomatic wise this idiomatic expression he has no self-control he's a prodigal if i can paraphrase then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones so you shall put away the evil from among you and all israel shall hear and fear How many of us would be dead today if we were under the old law and our parents looked at us the way we see in Scripture? I would raise my hand. (laughs) Oh, it's bad. I mean, you know when you lie to your parents and you have a reputation of, of honesty? It's pretty bad. And I might have been, from my mindset, before I became a Christian, A good son, morally better than my sisters. I mean, if my sisters are listening to the sermon, I tell you exactly what they were doing. It was bad. And I was better than them, but not by much. But when we get to this parable, this parable does not uphold the law in the way the law could have been used. This father could have turned the tables on his son and saying, you stubborn, rebellious, prodigal son. You should be stoned. Instead, the father graciously responds to his son by giving him what his son wants. When Israel in... uh, Let's see. Judges, 1 Samuel chapter 8, that's where it is, 1 Samuel chapter 8. They're demanding a king. And remember Samuel goes to God and saying, God, they want a king. You're the king and they want a different king. He says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But he says, let them have. God graciously gives them what they want so they can see the error of their own ways. So they, they can understand this is their rejection of God. The heavenly father in the same way this father graciously responds to his son who is asking or maybe even demanding his father's livelihood the father gives it to him and true to the reputation of the son the son goes off separates his relationship from his family goes to a faraway country and furthermore because of his destitution through prodigal living he joins himself to the most detestable of society, Gentiles. And the most detestable among the detestable in society, a man who has swine. And things get so bad for him, he's willing to even eat what the swine would have as their food and probably wouldn't even want to eat. Just despicable, disgusting, and gross. And in the meantime, we're not told the reaction of the father, but if he loves his son like I believe he would, imagine what goes on every single day knowing that your son has left. Parents, I know that a number of you here know what this prodigal son's father was going through. Breaks your heart. I can't imagine the, the sleepless nights that you have gone through. Waiting and waiting and waiting, praying and praying and praying. Hoping, even when you seem to think there is no hope because of the way they're living, that this child would return. Kids, imagine what you put your parents through by this kind of choice of life. It's horrific. But this is a reality for many Christian parents. I can imagine what he's going through. He's watching and waiting he is ready, though, ready for when his son comes. He is not the kind of father that's saying, as soon as my son comes back, I'm saying, i told you so. You see what you did? You deserve this. Imagine what that would have done to his son. Something to be said about grace and what we deserve and what has been given to us. When the son comes back, The father is already seeing him from afar off. He is not doing his own life. He is always on his son. I mean, the father's son is on his mind. The son is always on the father's mind. Always ready for the son and looking for the son for when he would return. And that's the picture that is given here that Jesus wants to provide. God is always seeking those whom he wants to save. so, So that when those are coming near to him, he's ready with open arms. And that's the picture that is given here. And, of course, the celebration that is given is just fantastic. I mean, imagine you come back after your whole prodigal lifestyle and he puts jewelry on you. He could just hawk that, go right back to the way he wants to live. Puts sandals. You didn't earn those sandals. Puts a fine robe. I mean, all of these things. It was complete reception of the son. That's the picture that is given that Jesus wants these Pharisees to see as as it pertains to the gospel message. And so what we have then in our parent-child relationship is a beautiful example of a gracious father. Now, here's the thing, and this is the, the X factor, if you will, that parents, that I cannot say enough. The X factor is no matter what we do, no matter how perfect we could be, which we're not, No matter how perfect we could be in parenting our children, our children still have their own free will. I've said this to my children many times. I can, because sometimes I can be a hard, mean father, I can force my children to do their chores. God has given me enough physical strength to say, Son, if you're not going to do it, I will make you do it. And so I'm a mean father sometimes that way. I cannot make their heart want to do those chores, though. They may do it, and they may do it out of despising me as their father, saying, I hate you, Dad. You made me do this. I don't want to do this. I don't feel like listening to you. And I don't say that's my child. My children aren't that way, by the way. I'm not wanting to give a picture that they are that way. But I'm giving you the, a picture of what can be in that parent-child relationship. Where you can force your child to do something. God, if he wanted, because he's a sovereign God, he could make us obey him. Where's the glory in that? But when we voluntarily give our heart to him, that's what he wants. That's where the true obedience and honor that we can read of takes place. And some parents, when raising their children, they blame themselves. going, What more could I have done? Well, you cannot control their heart. No matter what you can do, you cannot do this one thing. And God has chosen, no matter what God chooses to do, he does not want us to be these puppets on strings that somehow we just will obey him because he said so, but our heart isn't in it. He, doesn't, he wants our heart. And parents, that's the thing we cannot change. That's the, the one thing that children have with their independence from their parents is you cannot have my heart. I can give it to you, but you can't take it from me. And that's the way we were as children, if we had that rebellious spirit in us. And so we see this X factor because it's very important. Prodigal children have a heart already set on the flesh. I'm not making any bones about it. When you're prodigal, you're not like a good child, but you do bad things. A good child that's weak. If you're prodigal, you don't love God. That's why you're prodigal. You leave him. That's the picture of the parable. So parents, you've got to understand, if your children have made that choice, they don't want anything to do with God. It doesn't matter if you drag them to this building right here. It does nothing for them. I used to think it would. If your heart is gone, your heart is gone, even if you're here. Romans chapter 8 tells us, if a person's mind is set on the flesh, he will not submit to the law of God. He will not follow the spirit of God. He's set on the flesh. If you can get that as a parent, it may not lessen your pain, but it will keep you from beating yourself up as much as you may have been doing, if you've been doing it. If you can get this truth, you cannot change your heart. We know this of other families But when it's our family, I gotta fix it. I gotta do this. I gotta make them. We can't do it. God doesn't do it. What makes us think we're going to be able to do it? God gives us a picture of the father letting go his child, still with great love, with hope for the return, with desire of the return, but letting go. And that's what we're looking at here. And so we've got that. Now, here's where we come in, and what, what can we as parents then do? If our child has gone prodigal, they've left. We cannot have their heart. We let go. And I'm saying this without having the personal experience of my children going prodigal. And so I cannot speak from that experience. You know, one of these days, Kenny will be the one giving the sermon. And he has, he has great experience and great love. That's why he wanted to give the article. And I love Kenny for, for stepping up and saying, can I do the article? And I tell you, Paul Harvey, here's the rest of the story. It is awesome. And I think that's one of the reasons why Kenny wanted to share in the article this morning. How beautiful. When we look at our children who have gone prodigal, we ought to look at them the way God does, with the same love that God had for his prodigal son. Brethren, why do you think God sent us his only begotten when the scripture says he so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son This is to people who are his enemies. These are children that he has brought into this world People who have been made in the image of God So we are his children if anything born into this world and we may not be His spiritual Family if you will we may not be a part of his church or his kingdom but we're made in his image And when we are his enemies who have left despising him, rejecting him, hating him, he sends us his son and provides a means so that we could return. It's called the story of redemption. If we can get that and apply that mentality that God has for us, then we should be able to apply that to our children. Now, here's the thing. Some of you may have Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17 in your minds. And it says there that if if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and he alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not hear you, take one or two with you that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he doesn't hear them, then take it to the church. And if he doesn't hear the church, treat him like what? Here's the parable of the prodigal son. Treat him like a heathen and as a tax collector. By the way, that's who Jesus went to. The irony of Matthew 18, treat him like a heathen and tax collector, and the prodigal son where Jesus is saying, or the the Pharisees are saying, he's eating with heathens and tax collectors. (laughs) Amazing irony. I want you to realize that when you're treated as a heathen and as a tax collector is that the relationship isn't there. The fellowship isn't there. You don't have this father-son relationship because your son has already left. Your child, I should say, has already left. When Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 of the man who had his father's wife that we spoke of in our class in Romans 14 this morning, he said, I delivered him over to Satan. It is a mindset that I want him to come back to me. I don't hate him. I love him. And with this love, I want him who has already left because of his wicked ways and unwillingness to repent, I want him to return. But he's got to know that he does not have fellowship with God. I still love him, and I'm waiting for him to return. And when he does return, I'm going to celebrate the way God does. If you go back to the passage in Luke chapter 15, I want you to look at verse 7 verse 10 and verses 22 following one more time. Because in in verse 7, we've we've got these other parables, right? And it says over here in Luke 15, in verse 7, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. When someone comes up and In front of all of us in this congregation, it should be like heaven's rejoicing. Brethren, sometimes we're too somber about our rejoicing when someone turns to the Lord or returns to the Lord. I mean, if these angels are overjoyed, we ought to be overjoyed in the same way. And if you look, as it goes on with the next parable of the lost coin, he says in verse 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then you go back uh, back to the parable um, in verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Here's why. My son was lost and now he's found he was dead and now he's alive he was dead he was dead as far as the father was concerned because his father had given them over from from the standpoint that my son is living a prodigal life he has no fellowship with God but he's come back so there's a number of opportunities that have been given to parents where the child comes back and the parent with the law mindset would say you don't deserve to come back. You chose this lifestyle. These are the consequences that you put yourself into it. You get yourself out of it. Brethren, you may have been that parent. I'm not sure. I don't know your specific paths that you had in raising of your children. That's not the picture given here of the gospel. It's not a picture of a father who is gracious toward his son. Remember when that woman was caught in the act of adultery in in the gospel of John? By law, she should have been stoned to death. But the gospel is one of grace that says, go and sin no more. We We have got to be able to take people with their ugly, despicable, wicked, dark lives, and when they want to change, you help them. They're coming to the Lord. Don't make it any more difficult than it already was for them. And as we get more and more of people with prodigal lives, they may not be the prodigal son from, from, our, from our family standpoint that I'm talking about, but like with these women that we're dealing with, with some of the homeless people that we're in contact with, with people whose lives are full of just, what well, would drug dealers, prostitution, with um, people who beat on their spouses or abuse their children. And they live this life out of their own greed and pride and selfishness and hate and now are coming to the Lord. Give them the opportunity to come to the Lord. Receive them the way the father receives the prodigal. And parents If you are in that situation and your child is ready to come back, receive them. And by the way, even if we're thinking of just children, it could be your parent. It could be your brother, your sister. It could be your spouse, let alone your children that have gone prodigal. That's the gracious gospel's response. That's what we need to have for one another. If you can have this mindset, then I believe that when we're all in this room, we can understand that you know we all have fallen short of God's glory. We're not perfect. We don't raise our children perfectly. Our children don't do everything perfectly. We have times of distress, times that we pull our hair out of our head, <laughs> times in which we just wonder, Will I make it as a parent with my children? Times when children are going, Will I make it in this house with my mom and dad? That's just what goes on in a number of families who love the Lord. But if it ever gets to the point where your child has gone prodigal, think about this parable and think about how the father responded in letting his son go and was there waiting for his son when he returned. Think about these. Children, think about what you're doing to your parents. Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3 says, Children, honor your... Well, actually, verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. We looked at the Rechabites last week. You see what happened to them. They lived well because God blessed them in Jeremiah 35, verse 19. Great blessing because they honor their parents. Do that, and you will do well. Last thing with the gospel message, if you need the Lord, I don't care how bad your life is. I don't care if you're guilty of of the felony that Bonnie had been charged with, whether she did it or not. You have good news. You come to the Lord. The slate is completely clean. You have a white robe waiting for you. Are you willing to come unto the Lord, be washed in the precious blood of Jesus by the Lamb of God? Because you can do that if you believe that he is the risen Christ who died for you. You can do that because he's given you everlasting life through his blood. Why not do that right now? It's together we stand and sing.